I said to her, do I have to? And she was like, I'm not going to force you. Like, I can't force you. It's your choice. But I can't promise there won't be any serious repercussions to your baby if you don't. Tanya, and you are listening to the second episode of Human and Holy, a podcast by the Tanya Project where we discuss spiritual concepts in human terms. In today's episode, I interview Hadassah Shemtov, who, besides for being the director of Bacheva Learning Center, a teacher, and a mom, and we'll get to her bio soon, is also a real role model to me in the way that she shows up to her Torah study. With more than just the discipline and rigor that you would expect from someone like her, but also with real introspection and honesty and sincerity. In today's episode, Hadassah speaks about the concept of yesh ayin yesh, how ayin, the place of ayin, that place of chaos, uncertainty, and nothingness is the birthplace for a new self, a new yesh to emerge. Hadassah speaks about how this played a role in micro and macro scale in her life, in relationships, in the way we learn new things, and in her transition from woman to mother. I found that this conversation resonated really deeply with me. It's so easy to resist that transformation, but I think that Hadassah's story really shows the beauty and the necessity of that unraveling. I can't wait for you to hear it. My name is Hadassah Shemtov, maiden name Silberstein. I grew up in Ithaca, New York, that's upstate, and I've been teaching high school for a number of years. I live in Los Angeles now, teaching Gemara and Chumash to high school girls here in LA, and I also am the founder and director of Bacheva Learning Center, which is an organization that I started with a few friends about five years ago, and our mission is to create more advanced learning opportunities for women in the from community. Thanks for sharing that with us. So before we get into the practical application of the idea that you'll be discussing and sharing with us, can you zoom out for a second and give us context on this concept as it shows up in the Torah? Sure. So just to like, just give an introduction to this idea, the example I like to give, because I feel like this is just the most like relatable example that everybody has experienced at some point in their life. And that's that imagine you are having a conversation with somebody and you know, maybe you guys had an argument or had a misunderstanding or something happened where like you're trying to work something out and you're talking to this person and the feeling you're getting when you're talking to them is that they're not really listening to what you're saying. And they might be able to repeat back and you might, you know, ask them in the middle of the conversation, like, do you understand what I'm saying? And they might be able to repeat it back. But your feeling when you're talking to them is that they already have like a preconceived notion of who you are and what your intentions were and what you're going to say. So as they're listening to you, they're not really listening to what you're saying because they just have an idea in their head of what they are expecting you to say. And I'm sure like we've all had this experience before talking to people and, and, and we're probably on the receiving end and on the giving end, right? We've probably done this to other people all the time. And what's going on is that often when we're having conversations, and I think given like the time that we're in right now around the elections, I'm sure we can relate to this for sure with politics, right? It's like most of the time when we're having conversations, there's not a real conversation going on because nobody is actually willing to let go 
of their own perspective or their own opinion. They're really just listening to the other side with an, with an idea in their head of what the other side is trying to, to get at, like what their agenda is, and with the agenda of just trying to disprove that. So there's not any point in that conversation when either side is saying, I'm going to just stop for a second, let go of whatever ideas I have in my head already, like let go of the opinions or perspectives I already have, so that I can make room for something else that I don't know, right? Or that I don't already like, an, like a, a perspective that I don't already have and allow that to come into me and shift the way I think. And that process is what like Hasidus describes as this process of going from one yesh to another yesh. Yesh literally means there is, right? But it means from when you're going to go from one state to another state, and this, as we'll, as I'll explain, this applies in many, many different areas of life. The way Hasidus described it is from between one yesh and another yesh, there has to be an ayin. Ayin means there isn't, right? There's nothing. In between, there has to be like this nothingness in between. Um, if you want, if you really want to shift from one mode of being to another mode of being, the Gemara actually tells us a story about Reb Zera. Okay, Reb Zera was a famous Talmudic sage. It describes that he lived in in Babylonia. He was studying Talmud Bavli, right, and he had mastered Talmud Bavli. And then he wanted to travel to Eretz Yisrael in order to study the Torah that they were learning in Eretz Yisrael to study Talmud Yerushalmi. And it says that before he traveled to Eretz Yisrael, he fasted a hundred fasts in order to forget everything he had learned, which is like, seems a little strange. Like, why would he want to, like, I mean, all the Torah he learned before was great, but was wrong with it? Why are you trying to forget it? And the point is that the Torah that they learned in Babel was on such, like, was incomparable to the Torah they learned in Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, in order for Abzaira to be able to, like, open his mind to a whole new level of learning, he had to, like, almost forget, like, let go of everything he had learned, every perspective, every like concept that he was holding on to in order to make room for a whole new way of understanding Tara. And there's many other examples given in Chassos for this. The famous example is the example of the seed, right? It's like, if you want a seed to become a tree, okay, a seed and a tree are two totally different things, right? There's, there's no comparison between them. But if you want a, a seed to turn into a tree, what you have to do is you have to put it into the ground and let it fall apart, literally, let it disintegrate. It has to completely break open, fall apart, stop being a seed, right? You need to stop being a seed if you want to become a tree. And that's true in like in literally every area. And, and, and you know, Mamar Mechassas will talk about this in so many different levels, right? For example, if you want to go from Seichel to Midas, some of the Mamar that talk about, you see, it's Mitzrayim talk about this, that one of the symbolisms of Mitzrayim is that there's, you know, the word parai is the same letters as Eref, right? The neck right? Because your neck is almost like this narrow space between your mind and your heart. And sometimes when you, if you want to go from seeing something from a very intellectual perspective, right? It's like sometimes we have a hard time making decisions because we can see things from a very objective point of view and we can, you know, look at all the pros and cons. But at the end of the day, if you want to make a decision, it has to come from your heart, right? And sometimes making that bridge from your mind to your heart, there has to be this like nothingness in between. You have to be able to let go of everything you understand and all the, the objective way of looking at this idea so that you can just make room for feelings to come in. And, and there's, again, there's many different like examples of how this plays out. One example that I always think about from my own experience is I remember when I was a child, I was homeschooled as a kid and I learned, I remember learning math when I was in elementary school age. And for like a long time, math was all about numbers, right? You're just, you know, adding, subtracting, multiplying. It's very simple, right? And then all of a sudden at some point in middle school, right, we started doing algebra and, and I like, I didn't get it. I was like, why are there letters in the math book? Like, it's, like math is about numbers. Like math is about like 
doing things with numbers. Like why? Like I just, and like, I'm like, I could follow the rules. Like you add to one side and you add X to the other side. But I was like, but why? Like, it's just magic. Like, why, why are we talking about letters right now? This has nothing to do with math. And part of, and then at a certain point, I don't remember what stage I started to get it. And what I had to do to get it was to say like, wait, let me just let go of what I think math is. Math is not about numbers at all, actually. Math is about concepts, right? It's about principles, right? Mathematical principles. And once I was able to let go of that notion in my head that, oh, math is all about numbers and realize like, no, 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 that's actually about principles, about ideas. And these letters represent like a principle, right? A certain like, like an idea that can be applied to any number, right? And like once I was able to let go of that, of my old sort of immature, childish understanding of math, I was able to appreciate what math really was on a whole new level. I love math, as you can see. So <laughs> I don't know who relates to this example, but this is like... I can hear the passion in your voice. Yeah. So that's like an example that I like always like kind of sticks out in my mind. And I think if we think about it, we can kind of see this showing up in our lives in so many levels that any really any process of growth that we go through, right, from between one yeast and another yeast, there needs to be an ion, right? There needs to be like, if you really want to change, you have to, there has to be something you're letting go of, right? You need to let go of who like you used to be if you really want to become something new, right? You have to, if you're sitting in a class and you actually want to learn something new and not just take whatever you're learning and fit it into your old boxes, you need to forget whatever you know. Like I tell my students this all the time. I'm like, forget everything. Like we're about to learn this idea. Forget everything you know about it. Like, like just to, just pretend it doesn't exist. Pretend you never heard of this idea before. Because as long as you're hanging on to what you already know, you're, there's no room for something new to come in, right? And, and what's interesting that that state of I am is almost scary, right? Because it's, it's, it's literally nothing. It's like, I have to let go completely. And like, right, it's like when you're talking to that person, right? So wait, I'm going to let go of all my own opinions, my own perspectives. That's almost like, it's very vulnerable, right? It's like now, so now I have nothing. I have like nothing in my head. I have nothing to hold on to. And I have to just like, and that space in between is very like, it's like this limbo state, right? Where it's like, I, I, I'm nothing. I'm not one yeesh or the other yeesh, right? I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm just in this state of nothingness before I can actually achieve something new, right? Which is why I think change is so hard for us, right? Because change means letting go of everything we know about who we are. And that's scary, right? Because we, we don't know what it is to be the next thing yet. We haven't, we're not there yet. So, so yeah, that's just sort of like a general picture. Okay, cool. Of yes, I'm yes. So you have to basically, in order to experience any change, you have to first come to that bare and open place in order to learn something new in order to learn something new about yourself, about an idea or in order to change. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Is there a specific source that you are quoting, like a specific place in Chassidus, or this is just a general concept that shows up constantly? So one mimer that I I really love, which I speak about a lot, is actually the second mimer in Hamshach Samavav. And it's called Zayim Kishilas Masacha. And that actually, that mimer, the context is that the mimer is actually talking about Neshamis and Ganidin and how as Nishamis go up through different levels within Gan Eden, um, between each level, they have to sort of let go of whatever they experienced in the previous level so that they can experience a whole new level of, of pleasure in Gan Eden, right? Because whatever they experienced on the previous level is so incomparable. There's like no, like, erech, right? There's no um, bridge between one level and the next. And in order to like leap, to, there has to be almost like this quantum leap to the next level. And, and there's this moment of nothingness in between before they can reach the next level. And that mimer actually gives all these, it gives example of Rabzera, it gives the example of seed disintegrating. It also gives a really fascinating long description of this idea in Avaita Hashem during davening, right? That when we go through davening, we have to do the same thing. We have to, before we can, you know, experience this relationship with Hashem, we have to first go through this process of shiftless, meaning like sort of 
breaking down our own egos and our own confidence in ourselves so that we can be open to a new relationship with Hashem. So there's many other places. There's also like a sikha that I really love that talks about Pesach and how the whole process of even T.S. Mitzrayim is, is, a, is about this idea of letting go, you know, starting with this, this bittel. And it also gives a very elaborate description of, of this idea in, in learning, right? That when you learn something, you have the, every, every process of learning has to start with letting go of whatever you already know. Yeah, I love that. And I love how I love your initial example too in conversation, which is something I think that a lot of people experience. I've definitely experienced it. I'm sure I've been on the giving end of that too, which is that like when you're discussing something that's really charged and that you have a strong opinion about, it's hard to come to that open and bare place of iron in order to truly hear what the other person is saying because you open yourself up to having your opinion changed, which is kind of a scary place to be. So the source of this idea is comes from a pretty abstract place from what you mentioned, which is the souls in Gan Eden kind of having to come to this place of iron of nothingness and forget everything that they experienced in a previous world in order to fully experience the next world. So I'd be curious to hear how this idea, which has this abstract source, has a practical application in your daily human life. So can you give us a practical example of this idea playing out in your life? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the most practical application on a sort of a day-to-day level, meaning I feel like this happens on smaller scales, like in conversations and it happens in bigger scales at like different stages of life. You know, like I feel like all of us are going to go through like big changes in life or big shifts in our lives. And like at that very dramatic change or that very dramatic shift in our life, we're going to have to go, either we're going to resist the process or we're going to actually go through with it and like allow ourselves to be surrendered. Yeah, surrender to this process of just allowing ourselves to be broken down to this state of I am so that we can, you know, morph into something new. But I feel like on a more of a, on a more of like a day-to-day level, I think like in relationships, I think this is where it's most applicable. And I'm gonna like I'm gonna take the liberty here to sort of digress to something else I'm very passionate about, which is, you know, I feel like today we're very or maybe not just today, but we're very obsessed with personality types. You know, like I hear about this all the time. People love to sort of find a model and be able to fit the people around them and maybe ourselves as well um, into a certain box, right? A certain description, right? And then once I can fit them into that description, it's great. Now I can like predict how they're going to behave and I can understand all their reactions to things. I can understand the way they're feeling and the way they're thinking, right? And now I can like really figure them out, you know? And people are like, this is so helpful in the workplace. It's so helpful as a teacher. It's so helpful with friends, with your spouse, right? It's like, I can figure people out. I can understand who they are and, and break them down and analyze them because I have this model, which my personality type tells me this, you know, what this person is like and what they feel and how they think. Right. Um, and to me, I feel like that's exactly the opposite of what, you know, this idea of Yishan Yesh is trying to tell us, which is that I think the key to having rich relationships, and again, personality types, if we're having a very superficial relationship with someone, I guess that's fine. But anytime we want to have a relationship that's a little bit deeper, right. As long as we have a model that we're fitting that person into, we're never really listening to them, right? Like we're never open to the possibility that this person may have like a whole nother layer of depth that I've never seen before. And that I, I have no idea, right? And I feel like as, if, we're, if we're not allowing for that possibility, our relationships are very stifled, right? And they're very, they're very flat, right? Because it's like, okay, I already figured you out, right? Whether it's your spouse, it's your sibling, friend, students, I've already figured you out. So there's nothing you could do that will surprise me. First of all, we're not allowing the, the possibility for that person to change the same way we need to be open to ourselves changing. We need to be open to other people changing, right? That like, maybe 
this other person that I'm talking to, like give them the opportunity to change and allow, like open yourself to that possibility. Like maybe like the way this person is reacting right now is not just because of, oh, you know, that personality type that I already know that they are and that's why they're doing this. Allow them to like, yeah, allow for the possibility that maybe this person is totally different than who I thought they were. Maybe they have a whole nother layer to their personality that I never discovered, you know? And I feel like that's what allows relationships to be really rich and really deep. And like, I feel like that's what allows us to be open to experiencing the infinite nature of, of another human being. You know, I remember one friend that I spoke to before I got married and she said, I asked her, do you have any like marriage advice? You know, and she was said something like, she's like, you know, I feel like there's all these marriage books out there. And a lot of these marriage books are going to tell you exactly what, you know, men are like, you know, what they think and what they feel and what they're like, you know, what their needs are and what their tendencies are and, and why they're doing this and why they're doing that and explain everything about your spouse to you, you know, and this is what women are like, right? So that your husband can, can figure you out completely, right? And she was like, I feel like the best marriage book is your actual spouse. You know, like, why not just hear what the other person has to tell you about who they are? You know, like maybe that would be better than going to a book that can tell you about the other person. And maybe even open to be open to the possibility that the person that you're in a relationship with themselves is going to discover new things about themselves that they don't know yet. And I think just being open to that, just like approaching other people with a sense of curiosity and a sense of like openness to like, let me discover who you are. I think just leaves so much more room for depth and and growth in relationships. And I think even not just with like a spouse or a friend, but even like with students, you know, I find with our students, we're so, or, you know, clients or whoever it is, like we're so, you know, quick to sort of put them in a box, decide who they are, decide what they're, what they're you know, place in the classes or what they're, what role they're taking. And I feel like the more we're able to just be open to the fact that there's so many more layers to the person and so many more facets to the person, we're just giving them the liberty to express that. And we're, we're able to actually look out for that instead of just looking at everything they're doing and, you know, fitting it back into our assumptions of who they are. Yeah, that's such a good point. I feel like that's the hardest to do specifically with people that you are in a really close relationship with and that you know so well. So that would be yourself or just people in your life that you're so close to. Because as you said, you kind of just assume at a certain point and you lose your sense of curiosity about how they might react to something or what they might like or what they might prefer. And you don't give them, you don't necessarily give them that room to evolve, which is what we all are able to do and should encourage ourselves and, and the people around us to do. So I like that you like, pinpointed, not just in conversation with someone who has an opposing political view, because that's like almost obvious. But then how about the people that we're in those like really close relationships with? Do we still approach them with that same sense of iron of like, I don't know what you might say to this. I don't know what your opinion would be here. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like it's, it's stifling this relationship like for the good and for the bad. Like, I feel like if we're like, oh, I already know all their good qualities. And every time they do something really nice or really selfless or really humble or whatever, oh, well, yeah, that's just what they're like, you know? And I feel like we're kind of losing the wonder and the and the sort of like, yeah, and the curiosity um, to like discover like new depth and new beauty in the other person. And I feel like also for the bad, I feel like if we already summed up in our heads like what their faults are so now when they do something wrong they can never explain themselves right because in my head I already know why you do that it's just because you you're irresponsible or you're lazy or you're selfish or whatever it is and instead of like leaving room for the other person to just kind of give you a new window into what may have been going on right and what their um, motivation was or their reasoning I wanted to ask if you could give a personal example from your life where you've seen that play out in relationships and where this awareness has helped you yeah. So I think, as I said, like, I definitely experienced this on a day-to-day, like in my day-to-day life, like on a, on a more consistent basis, like in my relationships with everyone really. But I think 
like I said before, like this happens on like a micro scale and on a macro scale in our lives. And I think the the event in my life that I think really kind of shifted this for me on a more macro scale was my transition to motherhood. And I think for me, that transition was very difficult for me. I resisted it a lot, resisted like a lot of the shifts that were going to happen in my life. And I think my actual, my, my actual birth experience itself was actually like very, but just like a really perfect depiction of this whole idea. Like I felt like after I came out of it, that like almost like my birth experience sort of like forced me to this state of I am, like it forced me to let go of every ounce of confidence or any like self-assurance I had in myself and just completely broke down every expectation I had. To me, that was almost like, it was almost like forcing myself into that state of I am. And that's what allowed, that sort of was like a perfect transition into like a whole nother stage of my life, which, yeah, I was just going to become a person that I never, you know, expected to be. And it was interesting because actually I ended up having a, like an emergency C-section. And after my birth, I learned this sicha that someone told me about. It's a sicha from Akron Shal Pesach. And in that sicha, the rabbi talks about cesareans, actually. And the sicha is actually about Mashiach and about why Mashiach is referred to as Kesar, right? Kesar which is Caesar, basically. Why is that the name referred to as Mashiach? And, and the Sikha basically talks about how Caesar was given his name, or, or I guess it works the other way around. We call it a Caesarian because allegedly Caesar was born through a Caesarian. And that's why we call it a Caesarian. So the Sikha was actually saying that, that that's actually like a Caesarian is sort of like this, this ab, like supernatural, or almost like we're almost kind of like going around the system, right? There's like a natural process of birth, like the way a baby's meant to come out. And then there's like sort of superseding that, that natural path and sort of like going like beyond that natural course of the way birth is supposed to go. And it actually talks about how like it's almost like that, that, that process of a cesarean is very indicative of the way Mashiach is going to happen, right? Mashiach is not just going to be, it's not just going to be going through like the normal stages, the normal process of development. There's going to be almost like this break in that process. And there's going to be this like, yeah, almost like breaking down that natural process that that's supposed to happen in order to allow for a whole new reality to come to be. And like, I remember reading that Sikhan, it was a very, very powerful for me and like very moving to me because it sort of like gave a whole new meaning to my whole experience and made me feel like a lot of like the trauma of that experience was almost like, you know, there was like a sort of a physical process and that physical process was very reflective of sort of what I was going through emotionally, which was letting go and breaking down all of my expectations of, you know, how strong I thought I was or how capable I thought I was or, or how in control I thought I was of my life and how my birth was going to go and realizing that that none of that's the case. Right. And like just having nature sort of like break down every single one of those expectations sort of like naturally brought me to this, this new yates, right. This totally new state of being, which was being a mother. So to me, that was like a very powerful experience that I went through that, sort of like made this whole idea very real and visceral to me. That's such a beautiful metaphor for the concept of yesha and yesh, because you really enter like a new state of being when becoming a mother. It's like the type of thing that shifts every single element of your life and your understanding of the world and yourself, et cetera. So I'd love to hear if you could describe what your yesh looked like before becoming a mother and how the ayin of your birth, both literally and figuratively, changed your yesh and what the new yesh looked like, the new self looked like? Right. Well, I mean, I think very simply, like, I think life before being a mother is you, you always come first, right? It's like you, um, you're sort of like what you want and your, you know, your own 
agenda for your life and your own ambitions, right? Those take top priority. I mean, obviously there's other people in your life who also take priority, but like you're definitely, you're definitely able. I mean, people around you are usually generally, you know, give you space to be able to follow your own ambitions and your own desires. And I think, I think there was sort of like a sense of like autonomy, a sense of like strength. And I think even for myself, even in preparing for my birth, right. I had a lot of like, I read a lot of books about like sort of being in control of your birth experience and, and doing lots of breathing techniques and, and mindfulness and like all kinds of stuff that can like allow you to go into your birth with like strength and, and intention and like not have to be a victim. Control, 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 control. Yes. Yes. That's sort of <laughs> the bottom line. Not having to be a victim of this experience. You know, and I think like, you know, I had friends who had had, you know, a wide variety of birth experiences. And of course, I listened to I was like, you know, wow, I don't want to be the ones who have miserable, horrible experiences. I want to be someone who has an amazing experience because I can. Right. And I think like just that sense of autonomy and control was very appealing to me to feel like I could be strong. I could be powerful. I can be I can take control of my life. And, and I think sort of that whole process of like very gradually over the course of my labor and birth, realizing that like I'm not in control of every, anything. I think the most powerful thing to me was that, you know, when my doctor came in and said, you have to have a C-section. And that was very devastating to me because like that's, you know, in the natural childbirth books, that's, that's the end, you know, that's, that's like, the, that's like the worst possible outcome. It's like, that means you've failed miserably, right? It's like, if you, you're one of the, the dreaded 30% of women who get C-sections, like you like failed at this, at this race miserably. You do not get the award. Yeah, exactly. And I remember like, I remember her coming in to tell me that. And, and I was like, I had this like literally like a breakdown. And I was like, I can't believe this is happening to me. And I said to her, do I have to? And she was like, I'm not going to force you. Like, I can't force you. It's your choice. But I can't promise there won't be any serious repercussions to your baby if you don't. Um, and to me, I was like, well, obviously, I'm going to do this. Yeah, it was a very challenging experience, the whole C-section. I remember also after the birth, you know, my, my baby, like kind of watching my baby in her bassinet and the baby was super peaceful. And my mother was like, you know, like C-sections are actually the most peaceful for the baby because they don't have to kind of go through all that pressure of going through the birth canal and everything. Like they just come out really easily. They just, it's, it's the easiest for them. They get lifted out, right? Yeah. And almost to me, it almost like gave like a whole new meaning to the whole experience. And I was like, wow, like birth is about my baby, not about me. You know, like my whole expectations of like the beginning of the iron. Yes. Yes. And I was like, that, that was the iron to me where I was like, I was like, like I went into this with so much, you know, with this this expectation and this confidence of like, I'm going to be in control, as you said, and like, almost like this experience forcing me to say like, my whole vision of what this is going to be really doesn't matter right now. Cause there's like another human being here that matters more. And like, I'm going to put all of that aside and put aside all the beauty and all the romance of like this birth experience, because what matters is that my baby comes out and has a, is healthy and has a peaceful birth experience. So that was just like a really powerful experience for me. So you you spoke about the yesh before having maybe the sense of self of just like coming first, being able to prioritize your own ambitions and needs. And then that place of iron where a, the birth went completely differently than you expected. And then you, and that you, then you thought you could control, which like, I definitely think that sometimes those natural birth and I totally respect it, but sometimes the natural birth mantra is like, you can be in control, you can be in control, but can't really because like God is in charge and every birth is very different. So then there was like that iron of the birth not going the way you expected and that shift of recognizing that it was really more about the baby than it was about your birth experience. And then what was the the renewed yesh that came from that iron? So the, the yesh that was now Hadassah as a mother. 
What was that? Yeah. So I, I can't say, <laughs> I don't know if I could, I don't know if I would be honest if I said that like it entirely changed me and I became this like selfless woman who no longer changed my name, no longer prioritized her own needs and only like was just, you know, selflessly dedicated to her child. Again, I think there was definitely a lot of struggles after that, you know, like, you know, the first time your baby just starts crying for just hours on end and, there's, and you just have no, you have no idea what to do about it, you know? Or the first time you, um, I don't know, there's just many stages along the way where like you just have to go through that process of like giving up again and giving up again, giving up again. But I think I always went back. Like, I think like that experience was so like, just was etched very, very deep in me. And like anytime I went through another challenge and there was definitely still struggle and I definitely still resisted it. (laughs) But I think I kind of went back to that place of like, you know, this is who I am. Like who I am is not just for myself, but it's for, for somebody else. And that matters more than anything that I want to be. That's really powerful. And I like that you said that you are not a new Hadassah. I don't know if that would necessarily be the healthiest option. Well, Hadassah doesn't exist anymore. Now I'm just mother. (laughs) Of course, you're still a person that needed like prioritize your needs and ambitions, et cetera. But it's really beautiful to hear you like kind of gathering strength from that, that clarity of the intense iron, which is that when you are a mother, you're constantly going to be re-tapping into the sense of iron. Like you said, your baby's crying for hours on end and you have a deadline. Or even if you don't have a deadline, you're just exhausted, whatever it could be. So you kind of have to constantly re-tap into that sense of iron, which is like, okay, so Hadassah still exists as Hadassah, but right now I have to tap into that new yesh, which is making room for, for something outside of me, something that I have to care for that's outside of myself. Yeah, and I think actually a, a, another big part of this was also like even you know, in terms of the yesh, I and yesh for me, it was also my Judaism, you know, like I had a picture of what my Judaism was and the things that were meaningful about my Judaism. And a lot of those things that were very kind of what my picture of what my Judaism was and what made it meaningful also had to, I remember actually this experience, you know, I gave birth on Shabbos. So I was in, in my hospital bed and I obviously was allowed to do any malacha I needed to do. And I'm like moving my electric bed up and down and I'm, you know, I don't remember what else I was doing. That was Mahal Shabbos. And, and I'm sitting there and I remember like thinking like, I haven't said a Hebrew word all day. And like, I'm just breaking Shabbos left and right. And I was like, what's, is this my Judaism? Like, what does that even mean? How is that even? And I remember like, that was such a, like, also very jarring experience to feel like I sort of had let go of everything that I thought of what my Judaism was about. And again, I had many challenges after that and still do, you know, struggle with that of like trying to recreate my Judaism in a different way. Um, and, and I think, yeah, to me, that was like, almost like, uh, yeah, it's a very like powerful experience to realize that like, okay, I can let go of those things and realize that there's a relationship with Hashem that sort of goes beyond that. Um, and then I, you know, I can of course afterwards find a way to recreate my Judaism in a different way and hopefully in a more, you know, powerful way. I really like that example of Shabbos because in a situation where you have to break Shabbos, that becomes the mitzvah. The mitzvah becomes to break Shabbos when you have to break Shabbos. It's not like you're getting a pass. You actually like are supposed to be doing what you're doing. And that's so hard to wrap our heads around when we're operating from, which we all are obviously like often operating from that place of like self, how I interpret my relationship with Hashem and my, and my Judaism. So you know, like shifting the whole perspective of like, it's not what I want out of my Judaism. It's what God wants for me. That's different. Yeah. So different. Yeah. What does God need of me? Yeah. I actually remember like, like I think for me, like the most like stark difference between before and after is like a high holidays, you know, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, which, you know, I was used to, like, I enjoy sitting in Shul Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. And like, I love the Chazanas, like every part of it, like the whole experience is just very uplifting for me. And like the contrast of like, just being home with a child or nursing or 
you know, being pregnant or whatever it is, it's almost very jarring. It's like, wait, like this is Rosh Hashanah. Like this is not what I always learned Rosh Hashanah was about. And like, yeah, just making that shift of like letting go of like what, you know, sort of this picture that I had to allow for like a new, something new to come into your life, you know? That could be really painful sometimes because it's not like holiness is not always glamorous. So like when you're on the couch nursing your baby instead of praying in shul or, you know, like it doesn't always feel, it doesn't always feel good. You don't always feel connected. Even if you know intellectually that this is where you're supposed to be and this is what God wants from you, it can still be hard to have to move through that process of like recognizing that it's not about you. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely relate to that. Where would you say that you struggle most with implementing this idea in your life? So you gave the example of motherhood. So it could be motherhood or it could be something else, your relationships or you tell me. I would say probably what I just spoke about, like my duties, I'm looking different um, now. And, and I do think I, I do want to want to say here that I do believe that there is a way to bring. And, and I think we are meant to in some way bring back sort of like our, you know, that other side of Judaism as well, even as a mother. And I do to whatever extent possible do that as well. But I think there's definitely always going to be times when like things are going to be different um, and, different, and different stages of life also are going to bring out different shifts in terms of what your Judaism is going to look like. And I think that's something I still struggle with, to be honest. And yeah, I think letting go of that is, is st- still definitely a struggle for me in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it'll, it'll probably always be because it's not natural to, like we were built to kind of, like see things through our own lens and our own wants, even like a relationship that seems to be like God-based can still, it's still really a struggle. Do you have tips for other people, for anyone listening in integrating this concept in their daily lives? I think number one is that when we go through events in our lives that are very difficult or very traumatic, meaning I feel like there's two types of iron. One is when, life sort of does it to you. Like that's what happened with my birth is where, you know, like Hashem sort of sends you a challenge and that, you know, if we're embracing it properly, then that challenge should break us down to a state of iron and then we can grow from that. So like we're meant to grow from our traumatic experiences, we're meant to grow from our challenges. So I feel like when it comes to like, you know, sort of Hashem kind of breaking you down to this iron for you, like I feel like like a, a big part of it is sort of just embracing that like allowing yourself, like instead of trying to, like, and I feel like for myself, I resisted it, you know, like with my birth, like I fought it till the end. And I think I'm still resisting it to a certain extent, right? Like I, you're, 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 you, you, when these things happen to us, we fight it, you know? Um, and I think like being able to just accept, like I can, I can like be in that scary place of like, I don't know what the alternative is, you know, like, I don't know what it's like change is so hard. It's because like, all I know is who I am now. And I can't picture what it means to be somebody else. Right. So like that state of like I can of letting go of who I am now is very scary because like I don't know what the next stage is. Like I don't know what it means to be a person who's gone through this trauma or gone through this difficulty or challenge or tragedy or whatever it is. But I think just being in that place of like just embracing that like, yeah, this is like allowing it to sort of take you apart and, you know, sort of disintegrate. Like I think just even that, that image of the seed, like, okay, I'm disintegrating in the ground right now, but something's going to grow from this. There's going to be a tree. I'm going to grow into a tree. It's just right now I need to disintegrate. I love that you're saying that, like visualizing yourself as a seed, because I think specifically in huge life events, we resist falling apart because we think we have to be strong there and we have to hold ourselves together instead of making room for like a whole new entity to come about. 
I love that you're like focusing specifically on like, yeah, disintegrate, fall apart, cry, like just lean in completely to the disintegration so that you can be born anew. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes like mourning, like, yeah, sort of like you said, like cry, like, like, like the mourning of that, that's sort of what allows you to like, let go of it, you know, let go of what, what, you know, now the micro, the micro level. So that, so yeah, but, so then I think the other thing is, and, and yeah, not necessarily micro or macro, but I feel like the other thing is, because I feel like that could also happen on a micro level to some extent, but I think the other type is like, is like when you do it to yourself, right? Which hopefully, you know, I think hopefully like Hashem doesn't have to give us challenges, but Hashem doesn't have to force us to change and force us to, to grow from challenges. And, 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 and instead, like we can just sort of create our own, we can create our own internal iron and not have to go through these external experiences that, that force it out of us. You know what I mean? And I think when it comes to that, like, yeah, I think, I think like, you know, having a conversation with someone, right. When you're, you're in a relationship with someone that's not working well. Right. Or, or yeah, anything that's just like something's frustrating you about the way your life is going. And I, I think like, yeah, that is being able to, to say like, like there's, there's, there's infinite possibilities. Right. And like, I think even like when you're having a conversation with someone, like being able to like ask yourself before you start the conversation, am I ready to be wrong? Like, am I ready for this assumption that I have in my head of what I have absolute conviction for? And like, I, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I would argue to the death for like, am I ready to be wrong? And if I'm not ready to be wrong, I'm not having a conversation or like, am I ready to, to acknowledge that the person who I like have already branded as selfish or branded as closed-minded or branded as, you know, whatever else it is. Like, am I ready to allow them to prove me wrong? Can I make space for them to show me another side of them that I am not expecting to see? And I think like sometimes just stopping and asking yourself those questions. And it's like, it's hard, they're very hard questions to ask yourself in the moment. And cause, cause very often the answer is no, <laughs> like I'm not ready for that. But I think like being able to not start a conversation until you're in that place, you're ready for that can just be a huge game changer, you know, in our lives. The more we're able to to do this to ourselves, you know, and like bring ourselves to this place of growth and change. And I think not even just with relationships, but even just in any type of change we want to make, like a bad habit that like we can't picture ourselves without this habit, you know, or like I can't picture myself, you know, like, like, you know, like let's say for myself, my personality naturally is like very opinionated or argumentative, right? And I remember at one point in my life, I was like just constantly getting into these like debates with people and like some people are okay with that. Some people actually just are annoyed by it, you know? Um, and, I right. that, and I was like, and I was like, maybe like I'm like in my head, like I can't see myself any other way. You know, like this is who I am. I can't see myself just being an agreeable person. Like that's boring. That's whatever, you know, like it's not appealing to me to just see myself any other way. And I, and like part of it was like, I have to sort of just let go of the person I see myself as right now and like allow for the possibility that there might be another me that I can discover that that will actually be great. And I'll actually, you know, like, like I'll actually enjoy being that person more, even though I can't picture it right now. Um, but I think like any bad habit or any like flaw that we have that like we sort of like we almost like it's almost endearing to us because like this is how we this is just who we are and this is like how we see ourselves and if we really want to change it like the first thing we have to do is just say like can I imagine myself without that quality like can I imagine myself not being whatever it is whatever thing you're struggling with you know not being lazy not always procrastinating right can I imagine myself just not being that person who's always procrastinating like I could like can I can I can I even picture that in my head and or, or can I picture myself without like not being what I am right now? And I feel like that's the first step to growth and to change. Um, and again, I think the more we're able to do that ourselves, hopefully <laughs> um, Hashem, you know, won't be sending us any external challenges or difficulties that would 
that sort of forces that out of us. I love that. I love that because I feel like it's so easy for us not to leave room for ourselves or for other people to evolve and like coming. I'm really going to, I'm going to do that this week. Thank you, Hadassah. (laughs) I'm going to approach my closest relationships with that perspective, which is that I don't know how you will react to this. I don't know if you are comfortable with this. I don't know what your opinion on this is and not assume so much about people that I know really well because I'm basically stifling them from changing because I'm, you know, you kind of like you, you're sticking them in your own box, which is so unhelpful. And this like kind of leaves room for me to be surprised and also leaves room for the other person to be able to evolve and explore themselves more. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And then there's ourselves too, of course. Yes. (laughs) Do you think that you have to practice this with yourself in order to be able to practice this with the people that you're in a relationship with? I definitely think so. I, mean, I think in general, the way we perceive ourselves influences the way we perceive other people. And I think the more we're able to let go of our own limitations, that allows us to also, you know, um, do that for others. So yeah, I definitely think it's connected. So it's like a muscle you can practice in both areas. Yeah. Thank you so much, Adasa. I really enjoyed this conversation. I just want to say one more thing, actually, if you don't mind. Yes, go for it. Yeah, please back to what the mimer said about davening and i feel like what the mimer is almost saying is that like we have to do the same thing with hashem you know like i feel like it's, it's us it's with relationship with other people and it's also with hashem but like we get stuck in a picture of who hashem is you know and whatever that leads to us being angry with god us being or not trusting that god could do something right because we have some sort of limited picture of who he is we're creating him in our own image i think what davening is about and what what this mimer is describing davening is about davening is about letting go of our picture of god to allow for us to experience a whole new appreciation for who God is. You know, like that's what a process of davening should be is like letting go of like our, our small limited image of God so that we can allow ourselves to experience something, something greater. So yeah, just to tie that in as well. Yeah, no, I love that. I I love, I feel like this is a type of, like, this is the type of a concept that really applies to so many different areas. Like it's like, it's connected to our relationships, the way we view ourselves, the way we relate to God. And like, just, I mean, it's, it's like so multifaceted. Thanks for bringing that in. Yeah. I'm happy that like, you like tied it all up with a neat little bow. <laughs> so it was good. <laughs> Thank you, Hadassah. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. It was a pleasure. You have a lot going on, so I really appreciate it. And yeah, thanks for sharing what you've learned and also like how it has applied to your life. So that's personal and I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Tanya. Elokai zakinina betoratcha uvimitzotecha lechaberet nishmati tamidelecha mechaber lechaber tamidelecha elokai zakinina. Today's episode was sponsored by Hindi Nukasil Commonson in memory of their grandfather, Rabbi Shalom Barshanowitz. May his neshama have an aliyah. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, I'd love to hear your feedback, so feel free to reach out at humanandholy at gmail.com. If you are currently in that place of ayin in your life, perhaps Hadassah's words can give you the courage to lean into the unraveling. The uncertainty that you are experiencing is really just the rumbling of a new beginning. Stay open to the possibilities of what you may become.